Thanks for tuning in to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm your guest host, Jim Swift, in for Charlie Sykes, who is traveling today. I'm joined in studio with Alice B. Lloyd. Thanks for having me. And Andrew Egger. I have a middle initial, too, actually. It's J, but it's not part of my byline, but now you know. You know, maybe maybe you can make that change to your byline. I mean, it's probably not too late. Does no, it stand I'm, for I'm something? definitely still a, like the a E-level... What? Like does, it, does it stand Jacob. for something, or is it like the Truman S, I asked? Jacob, yes. can I just start calling you Jake? Harry Truman? Is that the Truman that you're referring to? Yeah, Harry yeah. S. Truman. S didn't stand for anything? No. Or Robert remarkable. S. McNamara, you know what his middle name was? Strange. And when his wife telegrammed him, saying, I need your middle name for uh, wedding invitations, he said, strange. And she goes, I know, it's just we need them for the wedding invitations. <laughs> he writes back, no, it's actually strange. <laughs> So She's like, I take it back. We don't need that on the yes. invitations anymore. Yeah, we're not even a minute in, and the podcast has gone off the rails with <laughs> middle, middle names and bylines. Uh, Hurry back to us, Charlie. We have, <laughs> please, please, Charlie, come back. Uh, we have Alice uh, in studio today to talk about uh, a story she's written about on a handful of occasions that kind of reached its finality um, recently on Nicholas DeMeyer, who I'm just going to turn it over to Alice and let her explain a little bit of the background for those who may not have read her uh, numerous stories on him. Yeah, so I, I think I think now I've written about um, Nicholas de Meyer four times, um, and he first came onto the scene um, back in January when uh, he was apprehended by the FBI in Los Angeles um, after touring the world on um, uh, on a, a trip partly financed by the one point two million dollars. Um, that he earned by selling the CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon's uh, priceless, well, not priceless, because he sold them for a price. $1.2 million. Yeah. A lot of money. Uh, uh, rare wines. I think some... So he was skimming. I think some connoisseurs would would consider them priceless. Right. I mean, they have a price, but, you know... Anyway, you, you anyway. Can't, you can't make any more of them. Anyway, so he was... It's a so fact was, that you can buy a lot of priceless things. So, so Nicholas uh, was, was David Solomon's uh, personal assistant for eight years. And um, he was skimming, right? For the last two years, he was... Uh, so, so he was tasked with moving the wine from one of the Solomon's residences to another. Um, and so and because these are the sorts of people who don't notice things like missing bottles, um, he was able to uh, sell them from his own apartment in Manhattan as though they were his to a not totally reputable wine dealer in North Carolina, Ryan Shalland. And Ryan, since then, interestingly, has moved on to other forms of liquor because the wine community has ostracized him because he's so shady. Anyway. Didn't DeMeyer pick the like a pseudonym of a famous yeah, guy so to, to resell these I, bottles? I, I, I thought that maybe he chose the pseudonym Mark Miller because Mark Miller was a, uh, a, a vintner, a wine maker in upstate New York. I... I wouldn't be surprised if Nicholas knew of him because he went to college upstate, um, uh, if you consider Poughkeepsie upstate, um, which I do. I mean, but he was not? also the name. <laughs> was, was one of the ma- um, early mayors of New York City. So, so the right. So these are details from the first time that I read about him, and I kind of forgot about because that was just sort of like maybe he did this for this reason. But but then I started really looking into uh, what kind of person he was because. I think I just have like a thing for con men. Nicholas is not a conventional con man, um, but I, I wouldn't even call him one. 
Um, he's he's a I mean he's a tragic figure. We're talking about him again now because he took his own life on the day that he was supposed to appear in court. He was expected to plead guilty in the Southern District on Tuesday, um, and instead he leapt from the thirty third floor of the Carlisle Hotel. Um, and got sawed in half. Yes, thank you, Jim. Um, uh, and and he didn't make it down intact. Um, so there's um, there's a lot of story there. Um, so yeah, click on the links. I guess <laughs> read the stories. Um, we'll put them in the podcast. People story who for... yeah, people people who knew him growing up, um, most of whom had lost touch with him by the time we talked. Um, I thought it was interesting. He 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 didn't grow up in in wealth. He grew up in a town called Finley, Ohio. He did, which yeah. is near where my parents grew up on the I seventy five corridor in Western Ohio. It's it's a it's a small town. Um, how how did he go from small town like theater boy to you know, he was he was in theater. He, I don't think he was ever a leading man, but I, that's how I found some of his friends that who were who were like in the chorus with him in the musical. Glee is fictionally um, based in, in in that area. In the oh, Ohio. oh, oh interesting. Gosh. No way they can um, afford all. So, that. so the, there there is a Tony. I forgot this until now. So there is a Tony winning um, actor who was I think either a class ahead or a class below of Nicholas at Finley High. Um, uh, but 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 so so he was in plays. He was um, he was semi-popular, drove around with his friends in a convertible. Um, he was a handsome kid. He was charismatic. People remembered him as kind of like weaseling his way out of stuff. He was very good at French, I think, or was one of my sources really good at French. Anyway, they took French class together. <laughs> um, and 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 he had romantic ideas about who he was going to be. He wanted to own an art gallery. He wanted to travel. Um, and uh, he didn't get there. He definitely traveled, um, but he wound up a personal assistant to one of the you know wealthiest, most powerful men. Um, and one of the one of the things that I learned from a, a woman who'd attended college with Nicholas, um, who herself was a personal assistant to powerful people, to uh, country music uh, bigwigs. Actually, she was um, that person. It's it's uncommon, and this I think is a very telling detail. Um, it's uncommon for personal assistants to stay with one family for as long as Nicholas did. Was it like the better part of a decade or something? He did. He was with them for eight years, and um, and she she says um, that that it is very rare um, to stay more than more than two or three, five tops. Did she say why? Um, this is because like burnout? It, or? Yeah, burnout, burnout. And it, I mean, it, it's psychologically draining to have somebody else's life overshadow yours so dramatically. And she described herself um, with, you know, a $10,000. And these these bottles of wine were worth more than this, by the way. Like $100,000. A ten, a yeah, she described herself with a $10,000 ball gown like to be worn to the country music awards or something in uh accidentally in the backseat of her car and just and just how that much money that that amount of money meant so much more to her than this gown would ever mean to the woman who was going to wear it and just those those moments that you have as a personal assistant are just sort of discomforting to your core it's sort of like a who am i what am i doing here remember who i thought i was going to be when i was in high school and so so i um if you can tell i i feel strongly about the nicholas de meyer storage because i spent some time talking to people who knew him and sort of figuring out what kind of guy he was um well that's sort of like what makes him makes the story sort of tragic and makes him kind of a compelling figure right because he's i mean he 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 has like half of the robin hood thing going on because like you know you're, you're you're stealing from uh 
this this fabulously rich person stealing things he like he at least probably thought he would never even notice that sort of thing was gone. Um, obviously, the other half of the Robin Hood story is that you are uh, doing it for a good cause and not just to you know sort of live high on the hog, which uh, is absent, I believe, from this story. But I mean, it's just it it is sort of really really striking just to get that kind of glimpse into this whole world that usually is sort of taking place completely behind the scenes where you know there's there's these like big uh, powerful figures people like uh, the guy that De Meyer worked for these you know these, these people who make a big splash in society and then sort of around their coattails and in their shadows and around their ankles are always scurrying all these other sort of little, little auxiliary figures that are really there for no other reason than to make uh, the the, the, the the head honcho guy's life easier so it's just it's it's just sort of bizarre to get this little angle into all of that yeah. And I don't, I don't think of Nicholas de Meyer as little, personally. Um, but anyway, I, I've I've gone native on this story a little bit, um, and and <laughs> I should tell you too that his name um, in Finley, Ohio, was Nicholas with a K Meyer, um, and he changed it. He changed himself when he got to college, um, and and I I mean I frankly I sympathize with that because I think part of the reason you 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 cross part of this country to go to college is because you want to be somebody new you want to be who you wanted to be and not it's like who you putting are putting a middle initial in I was violence. just exactly, say that exactly oh and so and we so, circled back um, now it's relevant yeah um and and I I mean if, I, as I mean maybe this sounds creepy to y'all listening out there but I think there are parts of this story that all of us can relate to in small ways um Anyway. Yeah, I've been skimming paper clips from media days. So part of six years. Sorry, my laugh is too. Jim tells me my laugh is too loud for the podcast. Oh, I'll edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, we're gonna jump here uh, quickly to our sponsor of the day, which is Quip, the new electric toothbrush. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Well, maybe not every day. Yet most of us don't do it properly, <laughs> if every day. Quip is a better electric toothbrush designed by scient- by des- dentists and designers. It was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. Quip features sensitive sonic vibrations, which are gentle on your sensitive gums. Why? Because many people brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. Quip's built-in two-minute timer pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. Up to 90% of us don't even brush for a full two minutes or don't even clean evenly. I thought you were supposed to kind of hum happy birthday, but I guess that's not even long enough. <laughs> a multi-use cover mounts to your mirror and unmounts to slide over the bristles for an on-the-go brushing. It declutters your sink or cabinet and makes traveling with an electric toothbrush that much easier. Quip does not require a clunky charger and runs for three months on one charge. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. And you know why you have to do it every three months? Tell me. Uh, I learned this on the Substandard podcast uh, from the inimitable JVL. Uh, if you if it goes too long, the bristles get too hard, and then that that's bad. You actually want soft bristles. Uh, messes up your gums. Yeah, three out of four huh. of us use bristles that are old, worn out, and ineffective. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association, and has thousands of verified five star reviews. That's why many of the people here at the Weekly Standard, including JVL, uh, love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com standard right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com standard. Andrew, you have a lot of things you want to discuss here. Um, what, what What's the first topic uh, that – you wanted to bring up conservapedia yeah or... um th- there are a couple things i would like to talk about one of which is my 
discovery. Perhaps it's not a, a discovery to all of you out there and out there in TV land uh, of of the website Conservapedia, which is a really fascinating thing. I feel have you have you guys read the book Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil yes. Postman? Yes. I sort I sort of feel like the, you know that now this thing where it's like we we were just talking about the. The, the actually like really sort of tragic and serious story of Nicholas de Meyer. And now here I am like uh, spiraling off on this, this wacky tangent about this website I discovered, but I guess that's uh that's what, that's what podcasts are for. So yes. With your permission, I will, I will, I will read a little bit of one article from Conservapedia. Is this the that one I, that uh, like hooked you? Yes. It's the one I discovered this morning uh, online somewhere. Um, and this is, this is the article for uh, Barack Obama. Okay. Uh, Barack Hussein Obama II, reportedly born in Honolulu, Hawaii on August 4, 1961, was the 44th president of the United States. Elected to serve as America's first post-racial president, race relations largely deteriorated under President Obama's leadership. During the years of his administration, a hard veil of censorship fell on the mainstream media and any discussion by critics was typically smeared as racist. The U.S. intelligence community was used to spy on, harass, and intimidate reporters and political opponents. Obama is arguably the worst president in U.S. history. And I enjoy this. Um... Not because any of those things are necessarily wrong. I wasn't really a, I, I was not yet a professional reporter uh, during Barack Obama's presidency, and so I really can't. I, I don't have any particular inside knowledge of of any of these things. I just, I, I really like this website because the the thing that it sort of sets itself up as is sort of a a conservative alternative to Wikipedia, right? right. Um, which is obviously much better known. Um, it, it's styled. You, you can see it right there on your screen. It's styled in the same sort of way. It styles itself as the trustworthy encyclopedia, which anyone can edit. So I'm not sure how those two square each other. Right, right. But I just I just see in it. It's like a really interesting parallel to sort of conservative media in general, which is that you see you see the main thing. You see Wikipedia, or you see the New York Times, or the Washington Post, or something like that, and you're and you're constantly. Uh, getting uh, annoyed because because these these uh institutions that you know uh, pres- uh presume presumably are supposed to be sort of factual down the middle uh they will occasionally sort of lean left on things right you see that all the time in in, in mainstream media it's a thing that's bothered conservatives forever um and and so what what you do is you say well it's frustrating that all these supposedly mainstream institutions uh you know, have this bias, and so we need our alternative. We need we need a new thing that you know that that is our answer to that mainstream thing. But because this thing does not even aspire to be sort of bipartisan and mainstream, what ends up happening is it just sort of like leans and tilts and goes way off kilter until it becomes essentially self parody. Which you can read any article on this website uh, as. And, and and you know it just doesn't stand up to anything. It's 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 foolishness. And and you you see that a lot of times in in media on on the right too. You know it's we we try not we try not to do that here at the Weekly Standard. We try to be fair and uh, you know, yeah, but but you, you understand what I'm saying, right? I mean like it's, yeah. it's there 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 are tons of these websites that just sort of fall into self parody because there's no uh there, there there's no drive or there's no there's no mediating force trying to hold them to to, to standards where people on the other side of the ideological spectrum even sort of would be able to read it and, and do anything but laugh. So anyway, that's just that's just a thought that occurred to me this morning, and I've given it to you free out, of charge. Check out the entry on neoconservatism. Oh boy, it's fantastic. We're we gonna we're we gonna do it. Do you want to read some of it? I'll, I'll do a uh, I'll do a couple excerpts here. A neocon is a rhino backer, and like rhinos, does not accept m- most of the important principles in the Republican Party platform. Huh. Neocons do not participate in the March for Life, which is strange because uh, I definitely have. I covered uh, the March for Life this year. Uh, well, you didn't participate though, so totally true. It was a, it was a glowing profile. Nor stand up for traditional marriage. You should you should see our covers, uh, or advocate for conservative social values, or emphasize putting America first. Um, 
a lot, lots of lots of fun stuff. Well, how's here. that supposed to make us feel? Uh, but let's go to the Vladimir Putin page. Okay, I'm ready. A Christian, Putin leads the increasingly conservative Russia against the homosexual agenda and towards pro-life side. Much of the criticism by Russia by liberals in the United States is motivated motivated by their opposition to Russian policies on social issues. Huh. I don't know. Uh, I I'm not going to go down. Uh, <laughs> I mean the the Russian church road. the Russian church is essentially an organ of the state. I mean it's. Right. That's not controversial to say, right? I mean, it's, just to say that Putin is a Christian is a. It doesn't. It just doesn't say anything. It's, yeah. it's, it's content. It's not a theocracy necessarily, but I mean, your point is well taken. I mean, Wikipedia. I, I set up a Wikipedia in college for my fraternity so we could like share tests, old tests, and you know, like notes about which professors were good or bad. But anyone can edit this, and I, I think that we're, we're seeing this here. Um, yeah, the popular articles are a lot of fun here on Conservapedia. How, how did you come across this? I don't remember. It was I was I do just sort recall. of spiraling through Twitter, and uh, I, I found midway this way of life were fixed upon. I found myself upon the Conservapedia page. So uh, sorry, sorry, I couldn't give you a better story than that. Mm-hmm. If, if you want, if you want, I in in exchange for this, you know, just complete ramble that I've that I've now dragged uh, both of you and everybody listening and our thousands of listeners. On, yes, right. Uh, so, uh, apologies. I will also give you a piece of actual news now, if you okay. would like. I like news. Um, okay, yeah. So to do a little bit of news now. Uh, Stand by. Yes. For news. So here, here's the thing. Um, and, and and this is actually tricky. I'm sort of used to Charlie like winding up the news bit and then asking me for commentary. I will try to wind up the news bit myself, which is that uh, apparently now uh, there's going to be another government shutdown fight in December, December 7th. A day that will live in infamy. It may very well. And, uh, and uh, the at least according to Politico, Politico Playbook this morning, one of the things that is going to end up being a big uh, difficulty here, where Republicans and Democrats are gearing up for a big fight, is that this is now supposedly finally the time when we're going we're gonna to make our stand and we're going to get that border wall for Donald Trump, uh, which is really interesting to me. M- Mitch McConnell uh, said on Tuesday, I believe, that, that this was going to be a, a thing, that, that they were going to really go out and try to get this. Um, and it was, uh, who was it? One of the, one of the bigwigs uh, on the, for the Republicans uh, in the House, I believe Kevin McCarthy uh, actually has now proposed a bill to allocate twenty-three billion dollars to border wall construction. Aren't there how many how many days of session are there left between now and the election? Not a lot. I'm I'm not a I'm not a math whiz. And it's uh, and it's and, and it's a standalone bill. Yes, it, it could stand potentially to be brought into a government funding bill, mm-hmm. but. Maybe it would receive a House vote for messaging purposes, but uh, unlikely to to pass yes, muster yes. in the Senate. Yes, McCarthy to beat McCarthy, the filibuster. Yeah, that that bill's not going to go anywhere. So what 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 Republicans are actually trying to bank on is that they'll be able to leverage this spending fight into some sort of concessions. Uh, what what struck me about this, a couple things that struck me about this, was first. Uh, that you know, President Trump's been in office for two years now, and this, and we, we we've had multiple spending fights before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's bizarre that that they would now be announcing that this December uh, this December fight, which is after the midterm elections, is going to be where they're actually going to go out and get you that wall that you elected Trump to give you. I mean, it's obviously it's politically motivated in a certain way. It sort of stinks to to, to my mind. Sort of feels like a ploy. But the other weird thing about it is that. This particular trade, uh, doing something like getting the border wall in exchange for uh, not shutting down the government and uh, um, authorizing another uh, new legal passage. 
pathway to legal status for former recipients of DACA. If you remember remember those guys from five or six news cycles ago, and that was the big story of the day, and then nothing happened, and people just kind of forgot about it. Is that yeah. DACA is no longer a thing? You know, the Deferred Action for Childhood right. Arrivals program. Republicans if you were brought got here, rid of it and then blamed the Democrats for getting rid yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if if you were brought here illegally as as a child and you signed up for this program under under Barack Obama a couple of years ago, uh, you're sort of up creek without a paddle right now, and that that's still been one of the motivating things for Democrats anytime immigration becomes the issue of the moment. Right. Um, but but what's really interesting about this now is that 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 trade was already offered. You might remember earlier yes. this year that, that that the last time there was a big immigration budget showdown, that was sort of the compromise deal that Chuck Schumer proposed was that we, you, you would get your wall and you would get, you know, increased funding for border security and we would get the the DACA renewal and and everybody could go home happy, but that Trump and Republicans actually rejected that that uh, compromise then because Trump was was confident that he could get his full immigration package, which also included uh, changes to legal immigration, uh, more controls Wouldn't on it, companies. Didn't have the point system. Uh, remind me what uh, you know. Rather than like chain migration, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. lottery system. Yeah, the, the we, would, we would adopt like Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and a lot of other countries. Yes, do. the merit based uh, as opposed to the family based yeah. uh, system for legal immigration. At, at what, was what, at what point are we not pursuing comprehensive immigration reform? Because a lot of these things were in the 2007, you know. Kyle Kennedy bill. Yeah, and I mean, the la- I mean, last time around, a lot of a lot of you know really stringently uh, anti anti illegal immigration groups that had backed Trump to the hilt, uh, you know from essentially right when he jumped into the race until then, they were sort of clutching their hair and being like, "What are you doing? This is this is sort of you know a, a lot of them." For a lot of them, Trump had already built up sort of enough like goodwill that they were like, okay, this seems a lot like compre- comprehensive immigration reform, but we're going to trust the but plan. But it's not amnesty, right? Right. It's not well, amnesty, yeah. Obviously. I mean, I mean, although it did include a pathway to citizenship for former DACA recipients, yeah. so it's just I, well, anything is am- anything can be amnesty. Right. Amnesty know? is the bill that you don't want to pass. Yes, the sandwich is amnesty. You know, I mean, what what is an amnesty? I mean, that that's the beauty of amnesty. It is. It, it can be. If everything's a sandwich, everything can be amnesty. I agree. But I didn't follow that uh, that, that analogy that might, exactly, that, but that, that might, <laughs> well, it's it's like the it's two parts. It's a joke on Twitter. Like, is a hot dog a sandwich? You know. Oh, I didn't get. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. picking up on that at all. But now that you thank you for explaining it, because now I think it's funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, is uh, <laughs> you know is is a pierogi ravioli? You know that kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. Um, but you know, uh, any anything like uh, it was also an in the loop joke uh, for our substandard listeners who who like movies. But um, yeah, no, anything can be amnesty. But uh, I, I was talking with one of our colleagues at the Washington Examiner, Phil Wegman, and they have they're doing an editorial meeting with uh, former Senator Jim DeMint today. And uh, I was like, I'm thinking to myself, well, I wonder what Heritage Action is up to. And we look on their website because a lot of these organizations are not um, beating down the doors about a lot of these you know topics because Republicans control everything in mm-hmm. government right now. Mm-hmm. And one of their things was stopping amnesty. And, right. Well, which one? Right. You know, right. Trump's amnesty, the Democrats' amnesty. I mean, it's always just kind of funny, uh, you know, how how the tune changes when when the levers of power are in different hands. Well, I mean, it's just I feel like that's just a universal thing. It's sort of tougher to be a, a think tank type when your side has power and you actually have to you know you actually have to craft legislation and pass that legislation and hope that legislation has positive effects on the lives of Americans as opposed to just saying these things need to be done and so we need to elect more Republicans right. or more Democrats that's they, what magazines are for you know to take the unpopular principled stand you know and not uh, not be obsessed about wielding power and influence man we're great <laughs> so humble so humble <laughs> 
so uh, other things in the news, uh, what, what, are, what are some things that you guys are reading today that listeners should be uh, paying attention to or interested in? Alice, <laughs> what's up? I think um, a lot of what I'm, a lot of the tabs that I have open um, right now are various uh, recaps of the year that has been in the Me Too movement, um, if you can believe it. Um, it's been a year. It's been a year uh, since the Weinstein effect took effect. Um, I can, can I ask a quick question about this? Because I've been trying to like remember going back in my mind, and maybe this is a, a silly question. Where but you were when you read the New York Times <laughs> no, story? Not, I was not in that exactly. Aruba on a junket. Oh, man. I was supposed to be on that same junket, but I did not go. Andrew missed the flight. All right. We don't need to get into that. Um <laughs> So my actual question is, like, to what degree was that sort of like a chicken and an egg thing? Like, was it because because to I, I I seem to remember that that the sort of Me Too thing had already sort of been like percolating up on social media as sort of like a grassroots a thing before it ever took Weinstein's head. But he that's sort of oh, all right. I can't do I can't do Weinstein. I can't do Feinstein. 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 Epstein. Bernstein. Weinstein. Yep. All right. Well, I've been doing a lot of Diane Feinstein coverage, so you'll forgive me. But I've never forgiven you yet. Eventually, you. Will. As I was saying, <laughs> Andrew and that I is, are enemies. That, <laughs> <laughs> that has that has become sort of like seen as sort of like the starter pistol, like you were just saying, of the yeah. movement. Is that? Am, am I misremembering that? That that was. To what degree did that actually kick it off, or just show that it was actually like? working its way up in the halls of power or no that's a really good question i think i think especially in the entertainment industry i think where even now um the whatever you want to call them um the men who've fallen um uh have have you been know, ridden out of town right i, th- I mean I, th- I think that 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 is still the big locus of the movement mm-hmm. um you know even as it's permeated other sectors um that's still the dominant one and and he is the the, the lodestar yeah i mean i mean i think i think moonves might by the numbers be more powerful i'm not sure but weinstein was more disgusting um you don't see the moonves company you know at every movie right, trailer right right that's been the weirdest thing. Yeah, I didn't even hardly know, know who he yeah, was. But so, now you go back and watch all these old movies. Right, like, oh, he I knew who he one. was he because was I watched Entourage in high school. Mm. Um, anyway, um, but uh, but no, I think I I the, uh, I mean I like the chicken and the egg question because there because similar things had already happened um, uh, leading up to it. But but his was um, his fall was so dramatic. Um, that it kicked off mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. without a doubt. Right, it did. Right. Um, one that I think of um, that that like just never ceases to fascinate me. There was a band, um, if I can remember their name, Power Power Bottom. Power Bottom. Uh, uh, weird to talk about the band Power Bottom on the Weekly Standards uh, on the. Daily Standard on the Weekly Standard podcast, but um, but here I am doing it. Um, We're all a, here for it. A, yeah, so a sort of like a bardcology kind of gender bending pop band, um, new wave pop band. The two front men um, of which I guess it was only one of them. Maybe they were both accused of stuff. One of them who was who who he was kind of like like queering the band frontman concept. It was it was all kind of. It was supposed to be woke, basically, if that makes sense to people. It never really made sense to me. 
Anyway, um, it turned out that he'd been bad to women um, in a very conventional way. Um, and so that band, uh, they had they had a single that was really hot and the album was about to come out. Um, it's Power Bottom with no vowels, just to be clear. Um, in case you want to look and, them up later. And, yeah, a great song, but you can only find it like on YouTube because their, their label dropped them, their tour was ended. Um, and this all happened before Me Too technically started. Um, and I think I think the fact that it happened to a young band that was positioned as like a queer woke act um, wasn't this was, was was just fascinated me at the time, and and I I think was an early sign of what was to come. Wasn't this so a common, I, I, yeah. a common thread in in your coverage of the Me Too movement that a lot of the people who were accused and um, you know not many of these folks end up going to a court of law. I mean, not not everything is like Bill Cosby or or what have you, but a lot you know it, it's interesting to me. I had not really heard of Power Bottom before we stepped into the studio here. Most of our audience all hasn't. <laughs> But uh, didn't a lot of the people who were kind of brought down by Me Too also kind of have this, I don't know, Gilded Age sort of veneer of being woke or, you know, the friend of the women? I mean, some people like Bill Cosby, of course, you know, had these sort of things clouding their, their yeah. for years until until, you know, the hammer fell. But a lot of people were, were, were liberals and they were they were kind of, you oh, know, yeah. of the woke variety and, and liberals in good standing until, you know. Their time in Ronan Farrow's column came. No, precisely, and that's and that, that's what was so troubling about the Aziz Ansari um, story, Babe.net, If anybody remembers it, um, uh, vividly. All right, <laughs> so we don't have to recap. Um, but but he, uh, he even even though the story was anonymously sourced and didn't seem, I think, to a lot of people, quite so bad. Um, he fell hard and fast and far in part because of, you know, whence he was falling. He was falling from this place of being, uh, you know, like the woke feminist man, the good guy. Gravity um, changed in a way, right? Exactly, yeah. And he got so, pulled down a lot faster than maybe someone otherwise would have. Because that. he was, yeah, falling from far higher favor among but the... But he sort um, of moon bounced a little bit back. It's interesting, bit. actually, too. There's another tab I have open. It's worth... Um, I think visiting some of the coverage of his comeback tour because it seems like his sort of some of his new attitudes toward wokeness are seeping into the kind of uh, the kind of comedy he's like. Uh, yeah, I think with, I think he sort of which, feels a little like badly used himself, you know. Whereas before, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to say that because I because I, the tabs are still open for a reason, but <laughs> but. Um, uh, but but I think I mean it'll it'll be interesting to watch um, who's able to come back and 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 how and be, because these are because so many um, of these are you know artists and entertainers it'll be interesting to see how their work has changed by the experience. Um, but but then again, you know, maybe no comeback will be completed. I don't know. Who do I don't you, know if we're who, ready. Who, who, who among? I mean, I you read all these stories. So and so is trying to plan a post Me Too comeback. Aside from maybe Aziz Ansari, who do you think is uh, is, is is really actually genuinely trying to make a comeback to public life? Like Matt Lauer, or... trying to make a comeback. Yeah, oh, uh, Louis. Louis yeah, Louis. Louis, Louis he, he keeps 
popping up and every time he pops up at the comedy cellar somebody else says like I've been re-traumatized by his existence and then um, you get like page six every now and then it seems saying like Matt Lauer told somebody yesterday that he wants to be back on TV Um, a crazy thing I heard uh, from a a guy wants to produce like a a guy who's serious about TV production wants to produce a show um, a reality show in which um a game show, I guess, um, uh, and men who've been disgraced, handicapping, betting on the possibility of other uh, like comebacks, political races. <laughs> like it's just it's basically to give these people who can't be platform to platform. Um, and in this kind of like a ghoulish reality TV type of a way. And Isn't it sounds like a monstrous idea, but um, I feel like it would actually do really well if you we ever got to make it. Anyway, I mean, so there are folks out would, there in the industry thinking hard about, you know, what do we do with these <laughs> so it's, men? They can't, they can't just go men. back to being regular people. They yeah. can't just like get a... What, they, I mean, they actually can't. What would their name be? I mean, like there's the intellectual dark web, you know, is, is you know, and that that's like a little moniker someone created. If you could create a IDW moniker for the, the, the unplatformed, I mean, like what, what would you call them? Is this a question just for me? No, anyone. How about a Twitter poll? <laughs> a Twitter the poll. The deplatformables. I know, right? The the uncomebackables. I don't know. Yeah, the, the deplorable. I don't know. There's, no, there's, there's all, already, that's already taken. Okay, I think that's all the time we're going to commit to uh, that today. Yeah. The uh, you know when, when you're getting seconds of silence, you know that the podcast the podcast has come to an end. If uh, any of you stuck with us throughout this entire journey, send us a message on Twitter, and uh, you know we'll give you a shout and out. And we love something. you. Thanks, thanks for and listening. Vote in the poll for the naming of the men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and vote in the November midterms. Oh, yeah. Make sure you're registered. Yes. Uh, Charlie will be back tomorrow, and uh, we will return to to normal, uh, more structured and less freewheeling uh, broadcasting. Uh, I'm Jim Swift, and joined by Andrew Ager and Alice Lloyd. Thanks for listening. Thank you.